Hey everyone, welcome back. Adam here, and we are continuing on in Nehemiah, our broken, battered, but building series. We are in chapter nine, almost at the end. We're at least past the halfway mark. How about that? Cool. Well done, you made it. We're getting there. We're getting there. And guys, I just want to reiterate I strongly believe that God has a final deposit to make in us. Okay, and so let's, let's persevere through this um, because God's word is always timely. And what I've noticed in this season is that patience always reaps blessing. Patience has always reaped a blessing. And so today we are going to learn how to be friends in repentance. Repentance, the big R word, the scary R word. Now, I was fortunate enough early in my walk with Jesus um, to, to submit myself to good Bible teaching and the scriptures and, uh, and not, not be scared of that word. And what was kind of strange to me early in my journey was that um, there's this whole culture within the church and Christianity that, uh, that is scared to change or scared of the scriptures or scared of being wrong or scared that that God is right and having to admit that and confess that when really the life of a Christian just should it should be light and whimsical to be like yeah like I was wrong God is right and thank God for that because what I was doing wasn't working God would you change my mind would you change my heart like Christians should be used to being wrong it shouldn't feel oppressive. It shouldn't feel um, condemning. Actually, it should feel freeing to change our mind. So actually, repentance is like a gift. It's a gift of grace being given to us by a loving father, right? So when my kids um, are, you know, they're getting all bent out of shape and I, and I come at them and say, hey, you don't have to do that. You don't have to think that. You can change your mind and this whole situation can change, right? This is a little gift I'm giving to my kids. I'm not doing it because I want to condemn them or make them feel worse. I want them to come out of their sorrow, out of their suffering into joy. I love when my kids are happy and having fun. And I want them to do that as much as possible. But in the church, when God gives us the gift of repentance, we often say, oh, no, 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 not that, not that, not that. Don't change that in me. No, I don't want to be wrong about this. No, I don't want to admit that my enemy was right. Like, where does, that's a strange thing that we do, isn't it? And we all do that. We all do that. Um, let's take a look here at what's going on. As the people are restored to right worship and they start to make regular rhythms of Bible reading and prayer, going upward, relationship with God, in having good relationship with each other, and being that blessing to the nations, um, ha- having healthy rhythms, they are recognizing the need for regular repentance, okay? So here it is, chapter nine. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. So this is, you're like, what does that mean? It's like, this is their way of showing their repentance, right? Just saying, ah, the sackcloth is, is, uh, 
something they would wear in a time of mourning and repentance to show that that God, we've we've turned from your ways. You were right. We were wrong. And and forgive us. And how could we have broken your heart like that? Right. So this is their cultural practice of expressing repentance like this. All right. Um, and they're going to embark on, and hey, let's give a little, whoever read the scripture today, good job, man. This is a long chapter. Uh, and so they're going to go into this huge kind of prayer of blessing, right? Um, so they said, stand up and bless the Lord, your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And then they continue on in this prayer and blessing of the Lord. And what they're doing is they're kind of, they're, they're verbally processing the whole story that they are now be, getting used to understanding their place in. And they're kind of processing the story out loud in prayer as a community with God. <clears throat> and so prayer, prayer tells you a lot about what they've been learning. Prayer tells you a lot about what a person is like, right? It shows, what are you afraid of? Who do you think God is, right? If you pray to God in a certain way and expect him to do certain things, you're revealing your theology and who and how you understand God to be and act, right? And so if you listen to someone, they're always praying, God, could you give me this? God, could you give me a raise? God, could you make this easy? Why do we pray for things to be easy? That's really strange. Like, God, just open all the doors, right? It's like, no, how about just, and I think that's why Jesus teaches us to pray this way, right? Like just, God, your will be done. Because if I find a closed door and you're telling me to go through it, I'm going to strap on a helmet and I'm going to smash up against that door. And we're going to smash that door down, right? Because the enemy will try and close doors on you sometimes. And the enemy will try and confuse you to say that all closed doors are God closing the door. It's not true. God, your will be done, your kingdom come. Whatever it takes at any time, we're open to what you want. It reveals how prayer, your prayer reveals a lot about you. This people's prayer reveals a lot about them. And it's beautiful to see what they pray so early in their spiritual awakening, in their revival as a community. And it's exposing what's at their center, what's changing in their heart, which is really cool. You could, you know, you could turn and look at them. Wow, they really love Jesus. Or, oh man, they seem like riddled with anxiety and fear. Or, wow, they don't, why don't they believe that God could do that? You know, or, wow, they really trust that God could do that. Your prayers reveal these things about you. And this prayer is going to reveal some things about this people. <clears throat> See, for 141 years, they're kind of just lukewarm, just going with the motions from generation to generation to generation. Like, ah, you know, we could go back to the city of God and we could go back and rebuild the temple and we could restore the right worship of the God of the universe. But, nah. We got other things to worry about and do, and I don't know, let's, yeah, so later, right? So they're lukewarm, this community, for 141 years, and all of a sudden it transforms, right? The public preaching of the word, the burden on the heart of the leader, leading the people out of exile, right? Casting a good, godly kingdom vision, and then the public preaching of the word leading to worship, and now repentance, they change from lukewarm to zealous and hot and on fire 
amazing. Right? We see him stand up and bless the Lord. And then they pray this long prayer. You, you heard how long it was. The person had to read it in your group. Right? And they show up for this six-hour sermon. Right? A quarter of the day here. A quarter of the day there. They read from the book of the law. Right? For this quarter and then for another quarter, they made confession and worship. Could you imagine confessing sin for six hours and worshiping God and confessing sin? I had a period of time like that in my life where it was three weeks solid, just reading the scripture, confessing sin, weeping, receiving mercy, rejoicing, putting on worship, singing, reading. Three weeks of that, that was a foundational, like, entry point days of my faith is a beautiful time. I, I hope you can experience something like that. Just like there, I think it's biblical. When, you, when your life is totally upended, you need time with the scriptures and with God's people to just totally reorient. That's what repentance is like. And they're having their moment right here. Shouting amen, kneeling down in prayer. They're excited to change. They, they're weeping because of the story and the conviction in their heart from the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful, beautiful time. I hope that you get to experience that. See, like we talked about last week, we referenced a river. And oftentimes, without repentance in your life, it's like constantly going upstream. The river is constantly pushing you backwards. You're wasting more time, energy, attention, and resources, and emotion right? But repentance helps turn you around so that you can go downstream, right? And repentance is sparked by the preaching of the word of God, six-hour sermon. Repentance is fueled by worship and confession, right? And repentance produces zeal in the Christian for the things of God, because a Christian without zeal is useless. They're lukewarm, good for nothing. Jesus says you might as well spit them out. And so we need to be careful because we went through a really hard season just like they did for 141 years. How long is your hard season going to be? Because we have been broken and battered. How long will your season be? How long will you go without zeal for building the kingdom of God because of what you've suffered? And you really have suffered. How long will you go without zeal because of what you've done? Because you really did do something. How long will you go without zeal because of the circumstances or your friends' opinions or your life circumstances or because of the government's tyranny? How long is your season going to be? Or could it change today? Could you turn around from trusting in something else to trusting in Jesus and start going downstream because of repentance? Here's the truth, guys. We don't need a new political leader. They're not our savior. We need repentance of God's people and revival in the church. We don't need better monetary policy to save us. We need repentance in God's people and revival in the church. We don't need flashier Sunday services. We don't need to fight about large gatherings, small gatherings, this or that, different models. We need repentance in the church and revival 
So they start here by, they confessed their sins and iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers. So they started with their own sin. It's so easy to point fingers outside and say, well, I'm this way because of that, or this is frustrating me because of that, and point outside when, no, we have to take responsibility for our own sin and allow Jesus to take that sin from us. And after they tackle their own sin, they move on to generational spiritual warfare. So in our church, we had a process for this. This was, you know, restoration prayer. where We went through that stuff, stuff that has been done to you by family, the patterns and of your family. So that, like you notice that some grandfathers, their children act like them. And then those fathers affect their children and those patterns keep repeating and repeating and repeating as it goes down the generations. What have you picked up from your family? What have you picked up from your upbringing? What have you picked up from the things that have been done to you? Are you allowing God to transform those things? Are you allowing God to heal those things? Are you taking initiative and responsibility to deal with those things so that the 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 chain, the legacy, the chain links of your family can be detached from all the brokenness and you can be chain linked onto a legacy of faith that is eternal in God's kingdom. Sinners have a few options in how they respond when the word is preached and their sin is being revealed. One, they can deny it. Nope, wasn't me, didn't do it. Or they could celebrate it. Let's create a whole day. Let's create a whole festival. You can affirm and approve everything about how I believe. Don't disagree with me. You're the enemy if you do that, right? This is, isn't just about one people group. We all do that, right? It's like, you know, you get married and you leave your wife, you find a girlfriend. Isn't she great? Celebr- I, I'm happy now, right? It's... We all do this. We, we want other people to celebrate our sin. Three, we blame, well, I only did that because of this, or I only did that because you made me frustrated or whatever, right? Number four, you can make excuses. Well, I'm tired, or well, you know, or it's because I'm Portuguese. It's because I'm Italian, right? It's like every culture has the reason to be mad. It's like, well, I'm... You know, it's, you know, why are so many cultures so angry? Maybe, maybe it's just us as people, as individuals, right? So we don't need to blame our, our, uh, our country of origin or our cultural heritage. Or you just change the subject. It's like, well, you know, hey, we don't need to talk about that right now. Let's talk about this over here. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about what you've done. Let's talk about the change of subject. Or you can shoot the messenger. Hey, you're no better. What about you and you did that? You know how you made me feel last night. You have no credibility to say anything. Right? That's what sinners do. Or we can choose repentance. Together as a community. We actually have a lot to repent for. Right? It's the reason we're here as a people isn't one person's fault or a small group of people's fault. This is, this is a 
community project that we're all embarking on together. We get to identify those things, name them, repent of them, change our minds and our hearts. It's been a great season for that. It's actually brought me great joy in becoming more like Jesus because of everything that we have been through. I celebrate that we, um, that I'm more like Jesus because of what we've been through. And thank you for sticking around to be a part of that process. And I hope, um, I hope that you become more like Jesus because we're still here together for now. Um, there's an interesting moment, much like this one in the book of Acts, right? Um, there's, this is like anticipation of spiritual revival. There's a very long sermon, <clears throat> much like this little blessing here, where, uh, and even the content is similar, right? It's recounting the story of God through the ages. And at the end of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter two, all the people say, well, what do we do? How, what does this mean for us? Uh, how, how, should we, how should we respond, right? And what does Peter tell them? Repent and be baptized. Right? Change your mind. Ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart. And then take steps forward in publicly declaring that you are a new creation and are ready to follow Jesus. Repent and be baptized. And you can have that. You actually can. It happened for me. It can happen for you, friend. I know the, the people you're hanging out with, you're like, oh, they're still the weird Christians, but you know, they're nice, so I'll hang around. Like, hey, there's a reason they brought you here so that you could repent and be baptized because God has provided another way. You don't have to be stuck fighting upstream. You can turn around and be going downstream. Martin Luther described it like this. Um, there's this huge revival in the church. There's huge reformation within God's people where they said, those are man-made rules. We need to follow the true word of God, right? And they were studying the scriptures and unpacking that and discovering truths. And he went, he kind of summarized uh, the, the things that he discovered in the scripture that would help uh, transform the church. And he made a list of them and he nailed them on a door of a church and the very first one was all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. It's the very first thing on his list. See, because the church had, had kind of pushed that aside. It's not all of a Christian's life. Christian's life is earning God's favor. And you could, a lot of what he spoke against in that document was, um, hey, you can actually pay extra money to have your sin forgiven. It's called indulgences, right? No, no, no. Martin Luther says no. That's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches God is right. We are wrong. You cannot earn it or pay for it. It's a free gift of grace received by the Holy Spirit through repentance and trust in Jesus. And so let's, uh, <clears throat> let's spend some time kind of summarizing and going over this. You already read it out once. You saw how beautiful it is, how amazing this story is. So I'm going to pull out a bunch of aspects of who God is in here, who they reveal God to be in this story. This is us looking at their prayer and seeing who the God is that they think they're praying to and who they are in this story. And I hope 
For us, it would inspire repentance, it would inspire devotion, and it would inspire true change in you, maybe for the first time ever, okay? So let's start off, right? It says, the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting, right? They're describing God in this blessing. This is what it says. That means God is eternal. He's eternally existed. He's always existed outside of creation. And he, for all time, has had perfect community in that the eternal Godhead, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for all time, has enjoyed perfect community, love, worship, adoration, affection, communication. And you're invited into that eternal community. That's, and that's, that's his eternal purpose. He's always wanted that. That's pretty cool. You alone are the Lord. You alone. He is the only God. You've dedicated yourself, my friend, to other things and set them above God. There's only one God. The creator. This is number three. See, you made the heavens, the, uh, the heavens and all their host and all the earth. This is our God. He's the creator God. He's creative. He speaks creation into existence. He, he, he makes beautiful things. He crafts beautiful journeys for us. He, we can look out and see the glory of God in all creation. He's the sustainer. It says, you preserve all. He's your sustainer. What are you looking for to sustain you? God is the one who can sustain you. This is the God of the scriptures, the sustainer. The host of heaven worships you. He's worshiped by angels. He's worshiped by angels. The whole heavenly host is his for his glory, right? If you have any sense that there are spiritual forces that you can tap into. Are you spiritual but not religious? Hey, it's not for you. It's for God's glory. He's worshiped by the angels and God will use those angels to work in the world and they are not to be worshiped. They are messengers for the worship of God. He's a covenant maker. You are the Lord the God who chose Abram, you made a covenant. See, God isn't interested in making tit-for-tat contracts with people. Say, you work harder, do better, try more. No, he's interested in covenant relationship. I want to be close. I want to be near. I will bless. If this happens, I will curse. But I want you to be with me. Let me make a way. He is the divine deliverer. You brought him, that's Abraham, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, right? He's the divine deliverer. He's the divine uh, commissioner for adventure and mission and promise and purpose. He is faithful. Scripture says like this, you have kept your promises. God doesn't let you down. God doesn't let you down. It's not in his nature. It's not in his will. It's not how he operates. God never let you down. He's faithful. You are righteous. He's righteous. He didn't do the evil thing to you. No, our God is good. Only ever good all the time. What do we know of these things? What do we know of these things? Don't look out into the world and judge good or bad right away in your circumstances. What do we know of these things? God is altogether 
righteous. He does not do evil. <clears throat> you perform signs and wonders. He's the miraculous way maker. He parts the seas. He heals the sick. He makes a way for you. He made a way for his people. He is glorious. You made a name for yourself is how it says it in the book. He's powerful. You divided the seas. He speaks the very creation into existence. He's powerful. He is, friend. Whatever you think you're facing, he is powerful to face it with you in a way that is best for his divine purposes. And that's not, that is not at the behest of his sons and daughters. He does it in a way that blesses and uh, nourishes them. He is powerful. He judges. You cast the pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. He is the judge. God is judging you. And in Jesus, if you trust in him, his judgment is mercy. Mercy. Forgiven. New. Friend. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which you should go. He is the leader of his people. Allow the Holy Spirit to carve your path forward. Stop doing it on your own, friend. Join us. Be friends of repentance where we say, God, forgive me for doing it my own way. I want to follow your ways. You gave rules, laws, statutes, and commandments. He's the lawgiver. He knows what's best. It's not to crush you. It's to help you flourish. Put plants in the sun. You could say that's a law. That's a rule. But not to crush the plant so that it could have life. You made known your holy Sabbath. He wants rest for you. Change your mind. God isn't a slave driver. He wants you to rest. You gave bread from heaven and water out of the rock and land that you have sworn to give them. God is so generous. God is generous. He gives you life and breath and being. He's not taking from you. Everything you have comes from God. You are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them. Guys, God is good. He is so good. He does not forsake his own. And he chooses you in Christ Jesus. Would you, friend, choose him and receive his goodness? He is merciful in your great mercies, the scriptures say. Did not forsake them in the wilderness. He didn't leave them there to wander around. He led them out. Even though they're grumbling and grumbling and complaining and whining, wanting their own way, he led them out. You have gave your 
good spirit. He takes you dead, makes you alive. Scriptures say it this way. You can take your heart of stone, that hard heart. Ah, I don't need God. Ah, I can do my own way. Ah, people all suck. Right? No, and you can soften it, turn it into a heart of flesh. So you can have real life. Choose to receive that gift. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. God is concerned about the generations and will sustain you, your family, and your household. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What power do I have over that? No, God is the one who sustains my family. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. God will open up the womb. He will bless your family. I've seen it over and over. People who struggled to get pregnant, the community comes around it. Yes, there is weeping and mourning, but I have not seen a single person who wanted children not receive them. That's just how it went in our journey. I don't know how or why. I don't. But God is the child maker. Scriptures say he knits us together in our mother's womb. You went in and possessed the land and you subdued the inhabitants of the land. They captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of the houses full of all good. He crushes the enemies who occupy the land and prevent you from experiencing the promise. Ultimately, Jesus goes to the cross to crush the head of the serpent, the one who's keeping you subjugated to the ways of this world, to fleshly thinking, to, uh, to worldly uh, hope. He crushes that enemy that keeps you distracted and apathetic and brings you to life. They did evil again, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies. Yet, when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercy. See, God is a good father who will discipline his children. But time out only lasts so long when there's repentance. Right? And God restores, and God builds up, and God makes new according to his mercy. In your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. See, he is the Savior. Jesus is always the answer to whatever situation you find yourself in. God is the one who will pull you out. Stop turning to other things or other people. Sure, the community of faith might be a part of that. Sure, circumstances beyond your understanding may be a part of how God acts, right? But God is ultimately the Savior. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us. You have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. See, God is the great sin forgiver. 
And if we can find it in our, in ourself, to say, we've acted wickedly. We're willing to be self-aware. We're willing to see it. We're willing to face it. We've acted wickedly. Despite how much you think you're suffering or how much you think you're right, you've acted wickedly. And you don't get through it without the forgiveness of sin that comes through the cross of Jesus, empowered by the repentance of the believer. And so receive forgiveness, friend. Receive it. I want you to have joy. I want you to trust the Lord and I want you to be restored. Have fun working through this, guys. Say amen, amen. Allow zeal to well up and allow the transformation of the Holy Spirit to empower a beautiful new beginning for you, your group, your life, your family, your kids. Bless you guys in Jesus' name.